2, The Power of More from Brockmeier and Zalo. Innovation Thinking Today we are talking about sports. We are very excited that we could win Daniel Bernard as a guest. He is actually joining from Tel Aviv, Israel. Daniel brings over 15 years of experience in sports data and analytics. He was creating and integrating advanced performance analysis systems. He has extensive experience in the sports betting industry, delivering products and platforms to emerging markets. But before we get our guest into the conversation, I would like to introduce the co-host of the podcast, Dieter Brockmeier, the innovation expert at the Diplomatic World Institute. Hello, Dieter. How are you today? Great, Christian and Dan. Uh, great to have him here because sports is always driving uh, societies, keeping them together and uh, has great potentials in uh, for a peaceful world. And so I'm really happy that we are talking about this important aspect today. Yeah, fantastic. And now to our special guest, Daniel. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Christine. Thank you. Thank you to you. Thank you, Dieter. It's a real pleasure to be with you. You are in the area of Tel Aviv right now. The situation is very special. It is dangerous and the media is reporting in detail. How is it for you? How are you really feeling in this situation? Uh, yeah, nice question to kick off with there, Christian. So, uh, yes, it's um, been a difficult couple of weeks in this part of the world, um, both in Israel and uh, for the people of Gaza, obviously. We hope for much better times. Uh, and also you say that the international press is reporting in detail. There's always a, a big gap between what is actually reported, what goes on. Um, these are stressful times um, across the board. And uh, we hope to see some relief in the conflict uh, very soon. Um, it's, um, it's frustrating, I have to say, because I think that we've made some great strides in the last, last year in bridging true bridges between Israel and its Arab neighbors. We can continue building the bridges. I think it's extremely important because things like this really shouldn't be happening every few years as they have been doing. And uh, we need to find a, a peaceful solution for all people. People deserve to live their lives in a much better way. Yeah, that is very positive. And we are talking about a positive topic today, sports. Sports is for people. What is sports for you? I think you summed it up really nicely with that headline that sports is for people. You know, it's, it's one of the things that um, has always uh, really helped me gravitate towards sport. I've loved sports since I was a kid. I always wanted to play sports. I still feel like I dream of playing for the national team. <laughs> you know, I haven't given up on that yet, even at my age. Um, it's, it's a passion. It's something way beyond just kicking a ball around. Uh, but when you said sports for the people, it really resonated with me from the point of view of you know, tying, if, if, even if we don't want to tie it back to the previous question, when people get on a field of sports together, they have a common language. You know, this is a, a great unifier. People can talk the same language on a football field, doesn't matter who they are, what background they are, what race they are. And that is a beautiful thing. And I think that sports has a great, great part to play in uh, com communicating between people, in uh, bridging between uh, different cultures, because at the end of the day, when we get a ball and give different kids of different backgrounds a ball, they all speak the same language. So it's a, it's a great communicator, a great unifier for me. Well, sports is, has a very emotional aspect and it's really uniting societies and um, the, the idea of peaceful competition is absolutely important and can do a lot in, uh, in order to make our planet a peaceful 
um, and better place, but it's also big business and sometimes it's contradicting. So uh, how do you feel about this um, this gap or this, uh, this, this between big business and the people's need? It's a really interesting uh, thing that you brought up, Dieter, to be honest, um, because sport at its base is that emotion, that emotional aspect that people have when they watch and play sports. And even at the top level of sports, you've got football players who earn a ridiculous amount of money. You still feel they're getting emotional about it, uh, which is a wonderful thing. If they weren't, then I think the world would be a terrible place, really. And for me, anyway, you know, I've been very uh, privileged to work in the sports business and the business of sport for 20 years now. Business is never just business for me on any level. But when it comes to sport business, it's definitely not just business because of the emotional aspect. Now, um, I don't necessarily see this as a contradictory thing, as you said. I think this is actually part of how you leverage the business side of it. Because if you realize the emotion that people have and understand that fans have a stake in the game through their hearts and their souls, then you've got to consider them as, as stakeholders in this game. We think about the, you know, now that I, we talk about this, the European Super League that was recently uh, doomed. Um, <laughs> you know, this was on paper a very uh, logical business move, but those clubs failed to understand the stake that the fans and the emotion hold in the game. And that's what doomed their whole effort at building a European Super League. And so you can't ignore that. In fact, you have to embrace it. And when we think about how to do that, how to connect with the fans better, because fans do want to buy merchandise from the club. You know, that's not the club uh, taking advantage of them. That's giving them something that they need. They do want to come and watch the game. They do want to support their club in whatever way uh, uh, is fitting for them. And that interaction with the club also has changed a lot over time. So I don't see this as two contradictory things. I think they actually go hand in hand. Uh, but of course, there are you know, Football for Peace, there are organizations like that. There is an organization, organization actually called Football for Peace uh, that is a non-profit that do try and use football to communicate between people. Um, and that's fine. And then there are businesses and then there are partnerships between those businesses and those non-profits. I think they go hand in hand. When we're talking about the business uh, side of it, uh, there's also a lot of startups right now that are coming up with new technology solutions on how to market sports, how to promote it, how to do merchandise, betting, of course. That was, I think, the, the very first disruptive move of from tech, tech companies in that field. And there's a lot of uh, things happening right now in across all sectors. So how are, are you dealing with this amount of disruption you're, you're the industry is faced with? And basically, what does it mean for fans and how can they tackle it? So I think, we, first of all, we have to understand where the disruption's coming from. You know, there's been disruption, you know, always. That's the, there's always been innovation throughout time, of course. But what we're experiencing over the last, let's say, few years is that disruption is coming at a pace that we've never seen before. And when we talk about sports, I think there are two main things I would point out at causing that disruption. First of all, uh, the way Generation Z Uh, and the younger communities engage with sports is very, very different to the way, let's say, we, uh, the old people on this podcast, for example, <laughs> you know, used, to engage with, used to engage with them when we were kids. You know, the, people don't sit and watch a game of football for 90 minutes and that's it anymore. People are constantly, because of the way the world is, with constant distract distractions. I mean, my son, who's 19, He loves football, but he won't sit and watch a full game. He will be consuming it through highlights on his phone in real time, through 
communications with other fans on, on a certain device, and it's become far more interactive. So that difference in the way the fans consume sports has brought startups to try and provide solutions so that they can consume them better. So we're looking at less linear um, and less flat two-dimensional broadcasts. We're looking at more interactive. People want to be interactive, not just sit and watch a TV screen and just one way view the, view the uh, sport. But the other main thing, of course, that's happened over the recent past is, is COVID. COVID changed the whole world of sports incredibly. Um, you know, people stopped coming to the stadium, of course. So anyone dealing with venue management and ticketing, their businesses took an enormous hit. But anyone in the world of sports had to think, okay, how do we now reach our fans in a different way because they're no longer coming to the stadium? So pushes on digital marketing and getting to understand how to monetize the social media content and interaction of fans has been a massive push for startups that I've seen, uh, fascinating startups. And that need wasn't really there before. And if it was there, it was hidden and sports clubs could do without it. But now it's become critical. So those are the things that I think are really driving the very, very quick disruption in the sports market. Um, the technologies that I'm seeing as an investor at the moment in sports technologies, um, often you see things that are, are trying to go a little bit too far. And sometimes, as is always the case, the simplest solutions that work today to help the bottom line of clubs today is what are, are most uh, implementable at the moment. And, uh, and there's a big difference between those startups that I'm looking at. Well, you were mentioning when we were talking about this uh, briefly before, the impact of blockchain technology. Okay, to me, it makes sense in ticketing and stuff like that. Is there any other fields that it can be uh, become very prominent for the, for the sports sector? So um, I think that blockchain is going to be more and more prevalent in the world of sports. But of course, as with everything, it has to have its, um, uh, its deployable uh, function. And uh, I'm, I've been working with data for many, many years. Now, when you talk about data and you want to have reliability around data, there's a big advantage in having a decentralized solution uh, such as that the blockchain gives. Um, is it necessary? In most areas, it's not, which is why it will take a while before it, it comes in. But in some areas, it is. And um, the, I, one of the um, areas and the examples that comes uh, to me right now is let's, take, let's talk the sports betting industry. If you've got transactions and you want to avoid any argument over what the transaction was, you know, did I have a bet here? Did it win? Did it lose? You know, did I place that bet? Did I not place that bet? Um, I believe that blockchain has a role to, to play here in making sure that all sides can have a, a very reliable basis for knowing what the transactions actually were. And that's whether you're talking about the, the better themselves, uh, the person placing the bet, the operator accepting the bet, or some sort of regulator trying to regulate that bet. I think it's very useful to have an, uh, an immutable database that says this was the actual information that, uh, that happened, especially when you're talking about money changing hands and in the, in the case of sports betting, a lot of money changing hands. Actually, there's uh, huge money made with betting and there is a huge risk of addiction. How do you deal with it and can these risks be reduced? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very sensitive subject, of course. I mean, the regulators are constantly looking at it, trying to clamp down on um, any of the betting operators, uh, whether they are, let's, let's say, um, non-deliberately <laughs> creating addiction, because obviously if we, you know, I'm happy to say it out loud, you know, this is a business and uh, if people are addicted, 
um, it's almost too easy for an operator to turn a blind eye to it and say, well, we're earning money from these addictions, let's just keep going. And this is where the role of the, the regulators are, are critical. Uh, but even before we talk about that, there's a big difference between betting operators in regulated markets and non-regulated markets. So non-regulated markets is where there's going to be addiction and no one's looking out for it. And the bet the people who are making money from it are sadly benefiting from those addictions and, uh, and they're just going to get worse and worse. Uh, I'm glad to see that there is a huge drive towards more regulation. Um, the U.S. is a, a, an enormous market, probably the biggest market that's ever existed, opened up since um, their regulation was eased in 2018. And um, uh, the thought that people didn't bet in the U.S. before is crazy. Of course they did. They just did it in an unregulated way. Now, at least, when it's all um, transparent, much more transparent, and the betting operators are under the supervision of regulators, I believe there are tools in place that can reduce addiction. Having said that, it is very, very hard. In my experience, um, regulators are as yet not well enough equipped to fully understand um, the betting patterns of an addicted gambler. And I think there's a lot of work that can still be done, should be done. Um, to analyze the data better and to be fully transparent uh, between the betting operators and the regulators to, to clamp down on addiction, uh, clamp down uh, to reduce addiction, let's say, um, as much as possible. Betting is supposed to be an entertainment for these people, of course, but it shouldn't be an addictive measure at all. You give it a chance that uh, you can at least touch the problem with the usage of big data? I think so. I think that if we, you know, just to give you some simple examples, how would you be able to identify a problem gambler as they're labeled, you know, someone who's addicted? Uh, let's say they're, um, they're betting on a football game, and the football's finished, and immediately the football's finished, they switch over to whatever's available on the site. It could be a horse race, and they start betting on the horse race. The horse race is finished, oh, they're, and they're searching. Where else can I basically bet my money? There are patterns that you can take to say, okay, this is an indication of problem gambling. Now, are you going to get it right all the time? No, but the more you analyze and the tools are available now to use um, machine learning, for example, to when you've got enough data to really pinpoint where certain things are happening. And, and problem gambling is just one area. There could be lots of uh, um, things that you can find out, of course, with the use of data and people are doing that. Um, but I think that the tools are there. And then it's a question of what you do with that information. Do you want to close down accounts immediately? Probably not, because you're probably going to be closing down some accounts that are totally fine, and then you're obviously not giving a very good customer experience. So there's, you know, there's a lot to be thought through end to end on how to first of all identify, and then what you actually do with that identification. But I do think that there is much more that can be done uh, than is currently being done. Well, but if we are talking about uh, addiction, I mean, this uh, can be taken quite a bit further because. Uh, anything you are emotionally involved uh, with can be addictive. And so I know a lot of people that are uh, in sports and they are addicted to sports and they can't stop doing sports and they take it to a degree that it is not healthy for them anymore. They are ruin uh, ruining their health. I think it's a very complex topic if we're talking about addiction and I don't think there is an easy answer to it. And uh, we need to be very careful in how we modify and how we interact in all these um, these fields uh, to make it a healthy experience. Absolutely right, Dieter. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I was working with a regulator once who 
um, very carte blanche said, okay, to try and clamp down on addiction, um, if anyone bets uh, over a certain threshold, um, you know, a number of times, then uh, you you have to sh- and you have to shut them down or something like that. And now this this makes no sense because it's taken out of context totally. If someone's losing ten thousand dollars a day, okay, but he's worth billions. Is that okay? You know, <laughs> but if someone's losing $10,000 a day, but he, in order to do that, he's having to sell his house, he's having to, um, you know, do illegal activity in order to fund his habit, then of course it's not okay. Now, how do you find out which is which? So there's a lot of, and this is part of the regulated uh, world that um, allows you to find a lot of, of information when you do proper KYC on people that register and you understand what their source of wealth is. And it's sometimes a real hassle, but these are there to protect uh, people from themselves sometimes, of course. And so it's important you understand what, what the context is in order to to you know, n- give it the right solution. So you're, you're absolutely right, Dita. This is a very complex thing and you can't just put very basic rules and think you're going to actually um, solve a problem. You might actually be causing more problems. So what do you expect actually for the next three to five years in your business? So if we're talking about the business of sports technology in general, um, I think that there's, it's going to be a continuation of what has started in the last year or two uh, from the point of view of um, really exciting uh, disruptions on fan engagement. If it's to do with betting, for example, I expect there to be um, a lot of products coming out to get the people much more engaged with the bet that they are making and not just flatly seeing a screen, placing a bet, I think there's going to be a lot more engagement. There are uh, fantastic technologies on augmented reality coming out now. So imagine watching a screen on your phone and you can interact with the players a little bit. What do I mean by that? You can click on them and see information on them and maybe you know get merchandising op- opportunities or bet on next goal through your interaction in the screen. These are things that are in their fledgling state at the moment in betting. I, I expect to see the, them coming to the fore. Um, but everywhere... Um, fans consume sports, I think is just going to be much, much more interactive. Um, so uh, virtual reality moving to augmented reality um, in its right time, I think it, that will still take a little bit of time. Uh, but it's all to do with making sport much more three-dimensional from a digital point of view. That's that's generally where I see things going without a doubt. I think that's an easy answer, to be honest. I think no one would argue with that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I see things are going. And that's where I'm also focusing a lot of my um, my efforts when looking at which tech startups I think have the best chance of uh, succeeding. Yeah, I'm just thinking of what to add to on that. We have a big chance, really, to make to make the world a better place with all the technology. But at the same time, we have also a big risk of making a much worse place. But in the end, it, it's on us, on the uh, definitions, on the, the steps we are taking now to determine what it will be. And uh, right now, the complexity of the world and with all the problems we're faced with, it's a crucial point. And I think we all need to work um, together to retain peace and... Uh, to um, keep up a positive environment for everybody and where everybody can prosper. Thank you, Dieter. This was our episode with Daniel Bernard, an expert in the sports industry. Thank you for the really interesting conversation. Thank you very much, Christian. Great to be here. Two, the power of more. From Brockmeier and Salo. Innovation thinking.